Good morning, everybody. Man, I'm so glad to see all your faces out there. It's when, when you make decisions like, should we do a 9 and an 11, or what should we do? Or it's like, what if we do a 9 and no one comes? So you guys have already made my day, so thank you. Thank you for blessing us like that. And I, I, hope, I hope that you guys are going to be blessed. If we have any visitors out there, I, don't, I think I recognize everybody, but if I missed you, uh, welcome. Glad that you guys are all here. And if you're not a visitor, I'm glad that you're here. I'm still glad that you're here. Um, I think you're welcome. I think, I think God's got something good for us in this, in this series. You know, uh, obviously, we've gone through the holiday season, Christmas, New Year's, and, and that's always a, such a special time of year. But prior to that, if you've been coming for a while, you know that we were doing, we did 22 weeks on the book of the Revelation of Jesus Christ. That was... That was a mouthful and a brainful, right? That was a lot of stuff. So going into the new year, I want to start out doing something a little bit different. We're going to get right back into our, to our chapter uh, verse-by-verse studies, but I want to take a little bit of time and teach just kind of a short uh, in-between series on relationships. I want to teach about what God says about relationships. This is not, hear me, this is not a marriage series, okay? This is not 2020 vision series, right? I'm a part of all kinds of pastors' boards and blogs and things like that, and everybody's like, how many of you are teaching on 2020 vision as we go in? Like, I am, I am, I am. Like, it's so easy. So easy. I am not about easy. So I'm like, we're leaving that. 2020 vision, that's a thousand other churches can teach that. We're going to teach about what God says about relationships of all kinds, all kinds of relationships. There's, there's marriage, obviously, romantic relationships, but there are business relationships. There are friendships. There are church body relationships, family relationships, all of these dynamics, and they all if they get skewed, if what God says about them, what his rules and how he laid down these relationships should look like, if they get skewed and we start believing what the world says, me first, get mine, it's about you, you deserve, I deserve, we start believing things like that and things go sideways pretty quickly. I think it's important that we stay grounded. Listen to some of the, some of the common lies that we tell about relationships. So just listen to them and think if any of these resonate with you. In relationship to friendships, okay, how about this? I'm tired of one-sided friendships, okay? That comes straight from Facebook feeds, okay? In 2020, I resolved to not put any more effort into friendships than people put into giving it back to me over and over again. I've seen that, right? How about family? My family is always going to be dysfunctional. We've always been dysfunctional. There's always the black sheep of the family. And if nobody has said there's always a black sheep, it may be you. (laughs) So there's that. Professional. Professional relationships. How about this? I've got to play the game to get ahead. I've got to play the game in the office in order to get ahead. I've got to keep my... Who I really am, I've got to keep that aside and just fit in in the office if I ever want to succeed, if I ever want to get ahead. How about this for, for self-relationships? Another one we're going to talk about. 
I'm such a failure. I'm not enough. I'm not this. I'm not that. I'll never be this or I'll never be that. Sometimes we even say the words out loud, I don't like myself. That's not where God wants us to be. And then romantic relationships. This one, this is something that the enemy is at 24-7 after us, and it manifests in statements like this. I deserve to be happy. I deserve better. I deserve someone who loves me. On the surface, that doesn't sound like a bad thing. We all want that. Do we deserve that? That's when the enemy gets in. When he lies to us about this and we start believing more of what the world says, sometimes we compromise our values. We'll compromise what we know God says in order to fit in with the world. We'll compromise what the Word of God teaches us in order to pursue what the world says we deserve. And when we do that, the devil can twist it. The devil can take those things and twist them to accomplish his purposes. It all sounds very innocent on the surface, but I hope that through this series I can talk to you about how it's not innocent. And it's not okay to start sliding down that path of I'm going to treat my relationships like the world says I should. Get mine. Get what I deserve. And it's a churchy saying, but it's true. And I try to avoid churchy sayings when I can. But guys, if we got what we deserved, if we truly got what we deserved, none of us would like it. I guarantee that. So before we go in any further, I want to take a second, and we're going to do this every week. Remember, if you remember when I taught through Revelation, I read that scripture at the beginning. You're blessed if you read it, blessed if you hear it. Because I wanted that to sink in. We're going to do something different. We are going to open up everyone in this series, at least, by praying for one another, praying for relationships, okay? Because there is a lot of trouble in that area going on, and I'm seeing it, and that's why we're in this series right now. I want us to try and get into habit of doing that. Gabe and I have been doing this for a few weeks now, and I can tell you, we pray together all the time, but we have been intentional about praying for our relationship, about church relationships, everything else, and, and it has made a difference. So I hope to help start instilling this kind of habit, and not just a Sunday habit, let's do it every day, okay? So let's start right now. Let's join me in this. Father God, Lord, we thank you, first and foremost, for the people that you have surrounded us with whether it's coworkers, whether it's other members of this church body, family, friends, acquaintances, the checker at the grocery store, the man that picks up my garbage, my spouse, my brother, my sister. I thank you for all of these people, Lord, because they are not in my life by accident. They are in my life to bless me as I am in their life to bless them. So, Father, help me to see those relationships the way you design them, the way you want them to be seen. Put others first. So, Father, I just ask everyone that's in my life, my entire circle of friends and acquaintances, Father, I lift them up to you and just ask for your supernatural blessing on their lives. 
that they, their life would overflow with abundance and peace and joy. And that, Father, if you want to use me to accomplish that, to facilitate that, to increase that peace and joy, use me. But, Father, let me not be guilty of causing strife, causing anger, and causing hurt. Father, I set those things aside in the name of Jesus. Amen. All right. Let's get into this. We are talking about this now. As I said, we're talking about this subject now because there have been so many problems with this, and no one is immune to it. Nobody is immune to having relationship problems, no matter what it is. Not even pastors are immune to that. And I'm going to talk more about that in just a moment. But Scripture itself talks an awful lot about relationships, actually from the very beginning. But let me show just a couple of them here about friendships. 1 John 4.20 says, If someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For the one who does not love his brother who he has seen cannot love whom he has not seen. Okay? That's friendships. Family. 1 Timothy 5.8 says, But if anyone does not provide for his own, and especially for those of his household, he is denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. In business, Colossians 3.17 says, Whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. Everything you do. How about for yourself? Romans 8, 6, for the mind set on the flesh is death, but the mind set on the spirit is life and peace. If that's where our mind is, life and peace. And then the last one in marriage, Hebrews 13, 4. We got this one on screen, I think. Marriage is to be held in honor among all, and the marriage bed is to be undefiled. For fornicators and adulterers, God will judge. Marriage relationship is critical. God holds us all accountable for missing the mark in all of those areas. Pastors, doubly so. Let's get back into now talking about God's design for relationships because that is exactly the root of how things like this happen. Those phrases of, I deserve better, I deserve, I deserve. As soon as we start saying that, the enemy gets in there, and man, we have trouble. God modeled for us, though, what a godly relationship looked like. He's modeled that from the beginning, and the Word itself gives us everything we need. So, question, how many have heard of the word covenant? Okay, most of us probably have. Anybody know how many in the Bible, how many covenants are in the Bible, major covenants. Anybody know? Seven, I heard. Three. Okay. It's somewhere in that range, right? Three. There are five major covenants and two sub-covenants within those. Lonnie is correct. I have a message on pride that I'm going to be teaching on very soon, and we're going to talk about that. 
<laughs> You'll be out of town that weekend, whenever that is, right? Most importantly, though, so there are several. There's, there's the Adamic covenant, the covenant that God made with Adam. There's the Abrahamic covenant, obviously God made with Abraham, Moses, Noah, David. Okay, there's all those covenants and then a couple subs in there. But most importantly, we're going to talk about the new covenant of Jesus Christ. Okay, what is a covenant? I'm so glad you asked. We're going to talk about this. Here's some prophecy, biblical prophecy, Old Testament prophecy about this new covenant. Jeremiah. Jeremiah didn't know Jesus. Jeremiah never met Jesus, hundreds of years before Jesus. And he says this, Jeremiah 31, 31 to 34. I'll read it to you. Behold, days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Not like the covenant which I made with the fathers in the day I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant, which they broke, although I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. But this is the covenant which I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them and on their heart. I will write it, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people." They will not teach again each man his neighbor and each man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they will all know me. From the least of them to the greatest of them, declares the Lord. I will forgive their iniquity, and their sin I will remember no more. That's prophecy about a new covenant. So much better, because they knew they knew all these Abrahamic, Mosaic, they knew all those covenants really well. And those covenants were mostly consistent of lists of rules. And they're saying that's not going to be the way it is. In fact, Jesus was the fulfillment of that. Matthew 26, 28 says, For this is my blood of the covenant which is poured out for many for forgiveness of sins. Jesus was the fulfillment of our new covenant. So let's talk about exactly what a covenant is and how that differs from what we might think of. So if I asked about a covenant, most of you would say it's a, it's a promise, right? Or you might use the word, it's a contract, right? It's different from a contract in very, very important ways. So let me just read this to you so I don't get it wrong. With a contract... If one agreeing party does something in violation of the contract, then it is considered broken. The whole contract becomes null and void. Basically, the signers of a contract agree to hold up their ends as long as the other signatories to the contract hold up theirs also, right? Does that sound like what the world would tell you now that a marriage is? A marriage is a covenant. God modeled that for us. With a covenant, both parties agree to hold up their ends regardless of whether the other party keeps their part of the agreement or not. A violation of a covenant by one party doesn't matter as far as the other party's responsibility to continue to do what they have agreed to do. This is a covenant relationship. This is what God modeled for us. This is what Jesus taught about. This should be the basis for all of our relationships. All of them. Now, can anybody give me an example of of a famous earthly or secular covenant? 
marriage, good. But I already said that, so you don't get credit for that, Lonnie. You only get credit for being right once per service. You're not wrong. How about, how, about, how about this? I'll give you a hint. The last line, it's a document. It's actually a famous document. The last line says this. And for the support of this declaration, with a firm reliance on the protection of divine providence, we mutually pledge to each other our lives, our fortunes, and our sacred honor. Very good. That is the U.S. Declaration of Independence. That was written to be a covenant. So if anyone defected from that, if anybody refused to sign and went back to England the the old ways, it didn't nullify or void the contract. They said, we are going to live within these bounds. If you want to join us, we would love to have you join us, but we're doing this. So that's an earthly example. Now, our society has long ago lost this concept of what a covenant is. Let me tell you a couple things about a covenant. A covenant can be sacrificial. A covenant can be one-sided. A covenant can be and often is unfair. A covenant can be hard. A covenant is definitely not me first. But you know what else a covenant is? A covenant is God's design. A covenant is God's design modeled for us by Jesus. But the word covenant itself doesn't completely describe how we should relate to one another. So I want to talk about this a little bit more. When Jesus came, he came to fulfill the law, right? Not to abolish it, but to fulfill it. In other words, to put meaning behind the rule of law. And he always taught that the law and what's in your heart go hand in hand. Sometimes even what's written on paper is not as important as what's in your heart. And he taught this, Matthew 22, 37 to 40. And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and with all your mind, right? It's, it's all caps, so that means that he's quoting Deuteronomy, Old Testament scripture. This is the great and foremost commandment. The second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend the whole law and the prophets. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. One sentence, that's got a lot of meaning. That is a deep, meaningful sentence. Love your neighbor as yourself. If you're driving home and your garbage can is laying in the street tipped over on its side, are you going to pick it up and bring it inside or leave it sit there? What about your neighbors? Good answer. What about your newspaper laying in the lawn? Okay, what about shoveling a walk? Little tiny things. These are just examples. I'm not saying you have to go out and immediately do all these things. Things you would do for yourself. Do them also for your neighbor. And your neighbor, by the way, is not the person who physically lives next to you. The neighbor is those people you bump into every single day, every place that you go. 
Think about what they want. Think about what they're going through as best you can as a human being. And think, what can I do to make their day better? Because I would sure love it if they made my day better. What can I do to make their day better? That's this kind of love that they're talking about. Now, this concept, it's a hard concept. There's a Hebrew word, and that Hebrew word is kesed. Kesed. It's one of the most difficult words. I always talk about how Hebrew and Greek is difficult to translate correctly into English, right? Kesed is known as really one of the most difficult. We have a slide up here. That's how, that's how we spell it. It's not how the Hebrews spell it. The bottom is how the Hebrews spell it. But it means a combination, steadfast love, loving kindness, and covenant loyalty. That word combines those three concepts, love with steadfast love, okay, meaning it's not easily shaken, with covenant loyalty, covenant loyalty. Loyalty is something that we long ago set aside when we're talking about love, right? As long as I feel good, as long as it makes me happy, I'll stick with this relationship. But the minute it's difficult and it's not making me feel good anymore, I'm going to set that aside. This is one of the reasons, this concept of kesed is one of the reasons why the nation of Israel has been able to stick together for so long. We always talk about, and you've heard before, how miraculous it is that the nation of Israel has remained as as together, as tight-knit, as homogenous as it has for thousands of years, given all of the obstacles in their way. They have remained pretty tight as a nation, right? Even when they didn't have a country to go to, they were tight as a nation. It's this concept of kesed, this understanding that loyalty and love and kindness all go together. And this is what God modeled, and this is how we should be treating each other. The theological importance of that is that it displays, more than any other word, the word kesed describes how we should put together love and loyalty and just simply being kind all into one. In other words, what a godly relationship looks like. So sometimes, depending on your translation, you'll find it translated as the word. It's translated differently all over the place. Unless you have a Hebrew Bible, you won't see the word kesed anywhere. It's translated as loving kindness. That's probably the biggest one that we see, loving kindness. Sometimes just steadfast love. Sometimes loyalty. Um, Hosea 2.19 says, I will betroth you to me forever. Yes, I will betroth you to me in righteousness and in justice in loving kindness and compassion. That loving kindness is kesed. Again, we see that concept in all kinds of different scriptures. We even see it in the New Testament. Obviously, the New Testament is not Hebrew. It's going to be Greek. But we see that same idea in the word mercy, most, con- most commonly translated as mercy. Luke 1, 73 says, To show mercy toward our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath which he swore to Abraham, our Father. We show that mercy because of the covenant, because of our promise. Like, how I treat you is not dependent on how you treat me. Guys, if we can get that idea together, 
and live as God intends, a lot of our worldly problems and relationships are going to go away. It's the Holy Spirit in us that allows us to take this concept of kesed, of, of love, loyalty, unmerited grace, and mercy. That Holy Spirit takes those ideas and our outpouring as human beings now comes out as another term you've probably heard, agape love. Anybody ever not heard the word agape love? We're going to talk a little bit more about exactly what agape loves. Now, there are many different kinds of love talked about, especially when we talk about New Testament. We're going to talk about agape love. Agape love is actually an even higher order of love than kesed, done correctly. It's even higher order because kesed a lot of times relied on the law. We do this because the law says we're supposed to. Agape was modeled for us by Jesus Christ. It's that kind of sacrificial love, and it's only possible through the Holy Spirit in us. So let's talk about it. Those four kind of laws, and we'll talk about that as we go through the rest of this relationship series. There's eros love, right, which is that sensual love. Phileo, which is brotherly love. There's storge love, which is family love. We don't talk about that one an awful lot. We're going to. And then agape, which is sacrificial love. Okay, we're going to talk more about the others as we go forward. Let's talk more for a minute about this agape love. Without, this, without a foundational understanding of that, all of our other relationships get twisted around. If we look at that, at that sensual love between a husband and wife, if we look at that relationship and we don't understand agape first, then it's all about feel-goods. And feel-goods don't always last. And unless we have that foundation of agape, we're going to get it wrong. Thayer's lexicon, which is one of the Bible study tools that I use, okay, it describes the word agape like this. It says, to take pleasure in the thing, to prize it above all other things, to be unwilling to abandon it or to do without it. That's how Thayer's describes that. Now, agape, it's a choice-based love. You choose that. You choose to enter that kind of a relationship, choosing to value someone or something above all else. And I will add that it almost always comes with a cost. It almost always comes with a cost, and that cost is typically setting ourselves aside and elevating the needs and the wants of the other person. Now, this choice, that choice that we make is really well illustrated in a couple commonly known scriptures. First of all, <clears throat> comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 13, which is known as? All right. I, I didn't even ask for hands because I knew you'd all know that. But let me read this to you. 1 Corinthians 13, 1 to 13. It's a little bit, it's 13 verses. The word love in every one of these instances is agape love, which means a sacrificial love, putting others before yourself. This is not strictly in the context of husband and wife or even neighbor or family. If I speak with the tongues of men and of angels but do not have love, I have become a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and know all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith so as to remove mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. 
And if I give all my possessions to feed the poor, and if I surrender my body to be burned, but I do not have love, it profits me nothing. (coughs) Excuse me, sorry. Love is patient. Love is kind and is not jealous. Love does not brag and is not arrogant. Does not act unbecomingly. It does not seek its own. It is not provoked does not take into account a wrong suffered, does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. But if there are gifts of prophecy, they'll be done away with. If there are tongues, they'll cease. If there is knowledge, it'll be done away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. This is talking about later in the fulfillment of the kingdom. But when the perfect comes, perfect meaning the fulfillment of the kingdom, we just talked about this in Revelation, the partial will be done away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child, think like a child, reason like a child. When I became a man, I did away with childish things. But now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face, now I know in part. But then I will know fully just as I have also fully been known. Okay, that's all irrelevant to what we're talking about here, but it's the fullness of Scripture, which I wanted to share with you. But listen, after all of that, verse 13, but now faith, hope, love abide these three, but the greatest of these is love. Talking about prophecy, talking about all knowledge when we reach the end, the consummation of the kingdom, all peace and the fullness of knowledge that will be revealed to us, all of these things, but the greatest is love. The greatest is agape, sacrificial love. We need to grasp that. Worship team, you guys can go ahead and start setting up. Now, I said earlier that agape love was illustrated in a couple well-known scriptures. The first one being the one that I just shared with you. There's another one. There's another very, very common scripture. You guys are probably going to know it. It's John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. That word love is agape love. Sacrificial love, willing to do whatever it takes for the well-being of others out of a deep heart love for those around you. So again, let me... Going back to that Thayer lexicon, right? It's kind of churchy the way it was worded. I'm going to paraphrase it. Listen to this. God took pleasure in you, prized you above all other things, and was unwilling to abandon or to do without you. This is the foundation on which all of our earthly relationships should be built. Amen? Let's pray. Father God, we just thank you, Lord, for how good you are. Your grace and your mercy and your agape love that you sent your son, Jesus, for us, to sacrifice for us. Many of us who don't grasp that sacrifice. Many who have outright rejected that sacrifice. But it wasn't about our response. It was always about your great love and mercy for us. So, Father, help us to take this message to heart and see that grace and mercy and selfless love should be the outpouring of our hearts. 
And Father, make that solid. Make that the bedrock foundation upon which all of our other relationships flow. Father, we love you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're going to take communion now. I think everybody here, I don't think we have any visitors. We have at the crosses, we have self-serve. We'll be serving up front here. There's wine can be up front. But let's move about and do that. I would like you during this response time, though, pray about relationships that maybe we should mend. Relationships, Relationships maybe we haven't been doing in a godly way. Maybe there's somebody you need to mend fences with. We're going to talk about that more through this series. But let God reveal those things to you now. Why wait for another week or two to start healing those processes? Let's do it now. Amen, church? Thank you. Oh, this is, we are here for 
We need to move. 